Navigating the choppy waters of adulthood can often seem akin to learning the steps for some elaborately choreographed dance routine. It's a complicated sequence of moves requiring balance and coordination. Sway too far in one direction or stumble even once, and you just might go cascading into the pit of despair. It's a precarious balancing act for any adult just hoping to get by. But now imagine if your brain was wired just a little differently, making it even harder to find steady footing. The specter of ADHD in adulthood is just a combustible mix looming over you. Because now you find yourself constantly late, perpetually disorganized, maddeningly forgetful, and overwhelmed by the sheer volume of your responsibilities. Its wide variety of frustrating symptoms seem almost designed to undermine nearly everything from your most intimate relationships to your career aspirations at every turn. While the exact causes of ADHD remain unclear, research suggests it likely arises from a combination of genetic, environmental, and neurological factors. ADHD often goes unrecognized through childhood as the demanding and regimented structure of school life can force kids to conform to expectations, camouflaging these symptoms. But the increased independence and responsibilities of adulthood can unveil ADHD that has lurked under the surface for years. Your family, teachers, coaches, and others throughout your earlier life may have simply labeled you as a wanderer, a daydream believer, a goof-off, slacker, troublemaker, or just a bad student. But ADHD is so much more complicated than that. Those scattered rays of chaotic mental energy like creativity, curiosity, hyper-focus, and charisma may have shown through on occasion, but too often they were eclipsed by dark clouds of forgetfulness, carelessness, disorganization, and restlessness. The symphony playing in your mind sometimes reached exquisite crescendos, but also stumbled into discordant interruptions. While the neurological dance wired into your brain since childhood may be more complex than others, the music doesn't have to stop. With careful partnership, compassion, and patience, both from yourself and loved ones, you can steadily learn the steps to continue the dance, staying present in each moment. As a dedicated advocate and certified ADHD life, relationship, and career coach, Shane Thrapp stands at the forefront of empowering individuals with ADHD to unleash their full potential. Shane is the visionary founder of Creating Order from Chaos, a platform where his passion for guiding individuals towards conquering their goals and uncovering their true purpose comes to life. With unwavering belief in the transformative power of guidance and support, Shane Thrapp has made it his life's mission to ensure that everyone, regardless of their neurodiversity, has the opportunity to thrive. And in this episode, which starts off where episode 39 left off, which was finding our way adult ADHD before the diagnosis, Shane and I discuss the emotional dysregulation and imposter syndrome that governed our lives prior to ADHD answers. We discuss things like journaling for stress management, simplifying choices, accepting yourself for who you are, and tailoring systems to suit your needs. This way, you can be more prepared for the dance. So chin up, shoulders back, and let's waltz bravely into the future one step at a time in an episode I'm calling Lost and Found. Navigating the world with adult ADHD. Watch.
injury for us because again we feel things more our brain is literally wired to feel things more yeah and, and the focus is yeah i mean well that's the misconception sometimes too with somebody who doesn't have adhd it's like the hyper focus is incredible and it could be incredible depending on what you're doing sometimes it's a great thing to have right like if i hyper focus on something let's say work related or something, I pretty much know I could probably do it better than anybody else just because nobody's going to have that same type of focus. Same time, I could jam my my big toe and I just keep feeling it and I'm starting to think like, well, maybe I should go to the doctor. <laughs> it's going to fall off. Somebody's going to have to cut the, you know what I mean? It's just like, it, there's good and there's just good and bad stuff. But a lot of people don't realize it almost seems like it doesn't go together, right? Like you, you have an attention deficit, but it's not, it doesn't mean you can't pay attention. Yeah. Because our motivational system, I actually, I don't even like calling it a motivational system. It's not really a motivation thing for us. We don't do motivation. We have to have certain things in our lives. Worst thing in the world. Yes. I don't like using motivation, but I haven't figured out another word to use. So Mm. it's going to have to sit in there at this point. But for us, motivation to hyper-focus or to enjoy the things that we enjoy, the work we do, the people we're with, the games we play, the hobbies we have, all of those different things is all ruled by interesting, Mm. novel challenges that have urgency and follow our passions. Yes. And, you know, the acronym is NCUP. I can't remember who uh, created it, but it's famous. Y'all can look it up. It's it's amazing. I've heard of it. But the the thing about it is, is when we put those kinds of things in our lives, we can really enjoy it. If we have an interesting job that has a lot of novel challenges that has firm deadlines and follows our passions, then we can really thrive at that work that we do. Yeah. But we also have to recognize that those interests and challenges and you know, the passions are going to change for us. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see a lot of people with ADHD who have a, uh, a lot of things put together for them are entrepreneurs. Yeah. They run sense. their own businesses. Like the whole reason I have my, my company name as creating order from chaos is it's, it's a blanket term. Yeah. It makes sense to me when I read it, honestly. And that's because as a project manager, I would walk into a company and I would see all of their chaos and my ADHD would be like, Woo! Yay! Interesting and novel challenges that yeah. I can really be passionate about because I would work for companies I, th- I thought were interesting, and I would be really picky about that. But I can so, see like, where you would be good at that because so I can organize the shit out of something, and then oh, I've done it before. I used to get so mad at myself. I'm like, I'm going to be organized, and I'd, I'd organize it to the T, but I couldn't follow. That was boring. That's the boring mm-hmm. stuff is actually doing that work. So here's the thing. As a project manager, I remember I I started learning at 25 and 28 yeah. of how to really manage my work. What I had started developing is a system where I would go into the company. I would say, hey, I am a project manager and or I would go into the recruiting company. I would say I'm a project manager, but I do short term projects that somebody else is going to take over and maintain. Yeah, and they would find perfect. me those. 
Right. And they would find me contracts that had that kind of stipulation. And I would go into the interview and I would sell the living shit out of myself. They would appreciate all of the different insights and creativity thing because I done hyper focus on this company and saw a lot of problems already. So I just bring that into the interview and I would interview really well. I said, I told the recruiters every time, if you can get me in front of people, I can get the job. Yeah. And I did it over and over and over and over again. And the thing was, I had developed a system where I would do all of the initial work, right? All of the creative stuff, all of the different measuring stuff, all of the data stuff, all of the science stuff. I would do all of those different things. I would work with subject matter experts to learn their processes. I would work with the people on the manufacturing line and understand their needs. I would work with the engineers and the scientists to develop an understanding of what they needed. Right. And I would connect people to each other who needed to be working together. And then I would also be training people the entire time of how to maintain this program mm-hmm. because I'm creating a process there. Yeah. And then at the end of my uh, time, I would just be done. Yeah. I would be like, bye, y'all. Y'all have fun with this, all this stuff because I'm not yeah. here to maintain shit. Yeah. <laughs> I am here to create your processes and I'm rolling the fuck out the door. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. And, but that's what I was good at. And so that's what I mean about following our passions and, 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 and having an understanding of ourselves and understanding our strengths and understanding our values and understanding our weaknesses. Yeah. When we develop an understanding of all of those different things, which is a major part of my coaching practice is developing that entire system for you and working with you to, to find those systems that work for you. When you start understanding those things, you start understanding yourself. Mm. And when you start understanding yourself, you start making decisions based on your values and your strengths and understanding how to mitigate or eliminate or delegate your weaknesses then you can really move forward finding those that career or that work that you enjoy doing. Yeah. Values was and a big you, thing I worked on, you know, finding a, a value because I didn't really have a set standard. Not because I wasn't like a person of value. It was more like I saw everything almost in a fluid way. Like I could just – I'm a person – like I'm a big history person. Because it's a web, right? Like everything leads into each other. And I love trying to put that. It's something you can't solve, but it's like you put that together and you could see everything like the chain reactions. Um, It's kind of the same thing with like trying to figure out my values, right? Like, yeah, I just, I could see it from all sides. So it was hard for me to pin down what an actual value was. Didn't mean I wasn't a good person or a nice person. I just didn't have set rules, I guess. Right. And that's the thing. When we look at like your neurotypical, they go in, they, they find the values, they find their strengths and stuff like that. Cause this is a basic type of uh, therapy. Whenever we walk into those situations, though, and we're trying to figure out our system, our understanding, and a therapist is really just essentially giving us the answers about ourselves, we don't develop a system where we start being able to take that forward with us. It's a one-time kind of situation. Yeah. And one of the things I do, the things that, that I do the way that I do, is I don't want people to walking away with just this idea that there are only these 10 things. I want them walking away with a system in place where when they invariably change because of ADHD chaos, that they can go back and they can reevaluate their life and then walk away with a better understanding of this is how I've evolved. Yeah. Right? 
Because when you're single, children aren't really a part of your mindset. No. When you're single, being married isn't a part of your mindset. And whenever you are in a career or you shift careers, it's like things are going to change. And we very rarely can handle a lot of really crazy change in our lives, even though we like chaos. And what I developed was a system where you go through an entire group of sessions with me and we develop that system for you. And then we work together to kind of move it forward until you start being able to really develop your own system that kind of moves in the direction that you need it to. And you understand how to fall back on that system if things drastically change in your life. Yeah. And that's the key to the work that I do as a coach is that kind of system and training you in how to use that kind of system moving forward. Yeah. I I think that's the big thing because you, I I think that's human behavior is once you feel that kind of stress, sometimes you just go back to what you know, right? Like as that your, your defense mechanism, which is basically whatever you learned as a kid to, to keep yourself safe. Yeah. And like, that's how we learn boundaries. Right. Our values are actually what inform our boundaries. Right. One of my values is respect. I give people respect. I follow Hanlon's uh, law. I, I don't really assume anybody is being malicious. I'm just I'll fall on the, uh, the side of ignorance more than anything um, mm. out there. But I also don't put up with disrespect after I've informed them. Right. Yeah. If I'm well versed in a subject, politics, religion, you name it. I'm well-versed in a large number of different things because fuck me, ADHD. Um, <laughs> um, and if I inform a person on uh, you know, bigotry or racism or social justice stuff or politics or something along those lines, and they're still unwilling to be a bigot or a racist or you know, follow political parties who are really working hard to destroy our country, right. I'm not going to find a lot of value for them. And that's a boundary for me. And boundaries are meant for us, not for the people around us. Right. If a person wants to support, you know, you know, laws that, you know, are detrimental to people of color, I don't want to be around that person. I choose not to be around that person. That's a boundary I put in place. And if they are like, well, why don't you want to be around me? Because you're a racist bigot. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any, I don't have like my social justice meter in my brain because of like um, autism, which is a big part of uh, things like we get le- legal, you know, in our yes. brains about what things are supposed to be. I'm not going to put up with that kind of uh, noise and that nonsense, but I don't lash out at people anymore. Right? Yeah. I used to lash out. I used to be hardcore. I would debate the hell out of people and stuff like that. That's because I learned how to kind of really regulate my emotional dysregulation and put in place the tools that I needed to do and understandings about myself to recognize like my triggers. Yeah. And I had my values and I had my strengths and I had an understanding about who I was and I had boundaries. And by putting all that stuff in place and by using therapy and using my creativity to manage my frustrated frustration and stress and having communication channels with my social circle and my wife where I could talk about things that were really messing me up, I was able to kind of really mitigate a lot of my problems. But even when I started having issues with it in a situation that was kind of out of my control, I started developing a, a process and a system where if I started recognizing a trigger, I'd walk away from the conversation. I'd walk away from the situation and I would go calm down. I would go for a walk. I would go outside. I would go breathe. I would go try to calm down 
And I would come back and I would have the conversation. And if I did lash out at somebody, I would apologize. Yeah. Because respect is one of my values. Right. Yes. A person may be bigot and all that stuff, but they don't deserve to be disrespected. They just don't need to be in my life. Right. Now, granted, I have short change with people who are just maliciously that way. But right. if I recognize those signs, I don't go around those people anyways. Because I don't want to have an emotional dysregulation action and, t- and tell them that they're a you know, racist bigot you know, and have to deal with that situation because they don't care. They're maliciously doing it. They know that they're in the wrong. They're just lashing out because they choose to be that way. Yeah, I definitely have a, difference, a different response for somebody who I think is ignorant or just hasn't thought about the problem the same way. I tend not to argue. I tend to just, I tend to try to make people think about what they're saying. I, I'm a big, mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in, you know, I, actually when I was a kid or when I was first going to school, I wanted to get into journalism and I just asking the questions you usually see, even when I agree with people, I ask a lot of questions and you tend to do that. Yeah. I just, I just want to see where where you got this you know did you hear it from somebody did you do this yourself did you figure it out Um, come to that conclusion it's just an interesting thing to me so usually i just try to get ask people like some kind of question and if i know that because i'm like you it's like arguing with people about anything you tend not to get anywhere that's why like twitter and all those places is just a cesspool to me i remember my kid wanted a twitter account and i was like He's like, oh, I like memes. And I'm like, uh, I get it because, you know, they're funny and I like them too. But I was like, you just have to watch because, like, you're going to go on there. Somebody's going to say something that sets you off. You're going to write something. You're going to think this is, you know, I really got this person. And then you have 10,000 people dumping on you between trolls. between, And I'm like, it's just such a negative, negative way to to spend your time that you can't get back you know so Mm -hmm. i definitely understand that yeah and but again a lot of the coping mechanisms that i have that i learned through therapy and things along those lines was just limiting how how much exposure i have and what my boundaries were and i'm telling you right now like my emotional regulation has probably been one of in one of the better places for the past couple of years and that's even having twins you know twin toddlers and like there's definitely been some moments in there where i've yelled and gotten frustrated and stressed out but like they were valid points of being frustrated and stressed out but like i'll give you a good example like my wife and i walk into the room and our kids have taken black marker to the front uh to the they got a hold of a sharpie and they completely marked up a good three by three foot square in front of our door and we were just we both just looked at it and I didn't blow up. I didn't snap. I didn't get really angry. I just sat there and looked at it and it was like, huh, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Who left the marker near them? <laughs> and, and my wife and I just looked at it, but there's a large number of different situations that are like that. Yeah. Where, you know, before six, eight, ten years ago, I would have lost my shit. Right. And, there's lots, lots of situations where I can look back at when I was raising my first two children where I see the abuse I did to them and a lot of shame mm. and deservedly so. I, I, I was not a good father. Yeah. But one of my values is continuous improvement. 
And that turned into how can I be a better father? And that meant learning about what children need, like positive parenting techniques and stuff like that. But the situation with my toddlers was we found out my wife was pregnant and I was going to be a stay-at-home dad because my wife's job is as a special needs teacher was really valuable. And I had started going down the path of coaching at this point. And so my I had a lot more freedom to my schedule and could do it from home. Mm-hmm. And then my kids were born at 27 weeks. Super premature. Yeah, that's really premature. And the level of stress and frustration that my wife and I were dealing with there really taught me a lot on the value of communication and working together as a couple and different things of that nature. And my wife was cheering me on as a home father when my brain was trying to tell me I'm supposed to be the provider and go to work and you're supposed to be stay at home mom and doing all those wife chores, right? My, my environment from growing up had shifted my brain into this mindset of this is what I'm supposed to be. And I was falling back into these really dark emotional traps. So I had to get back into therapy and start working through those feelings. And my wife did her, did some of the most amazing things for me to help me prepare for it. Yeah. Because she was super supportive and my friends were super supportive. Yeah. And that, that's what got me through it. That's what got me to a place where I felt like I was healthy enough to be able to be a good coach and a good father and a good husband and start really moving forward with my life, finding a lot more happiness to it. Mm. Like I didn't go into coaching to make a lot of money. Right. In fact, I, I went to my wife. I said, Hey, how much do I need to make on a monthly basis to kind of cover what, like what we need? And she was like, Oh, we need this much money. I was like, that's it. She was like, yeah, just get that much. I was like, Oh, well, crap, I can do that. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I built my entire coaching practice based on like my wife's expectations for, how much money we wanted to bring in and things like that. And I, and then I looked at the actual numbers that are, that are out there for coaches. And I was like, Oh, like the average pay for a coach out mm. there, like for, for most coaches is roughly about $125 an hour. Yeah. And there are coaches out there that charge 500 to $10,000 an hour for the, for the work that they do. And I'm like, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Because we coach who we know. Yeah. And I know middle class, low class, or low wage uh, earners. That's that's who I know. That's how I know how to help. That's what I enjoy helping are those people who may not have insurance for therapy. Now, I'm not a therapist, right? I'm a coach. I can, But I can teach them the skills to get them to the place where they're working a better job with insurance and doing better. And I can give them the encouragement and the accountability that they need to get better I can help them understand more about who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can help them understand their values. I can help them understand their strengths. I can under- help them understand changing their mindset, recognizing their weaknesses, putting in place external tools for ADHD because that's what we have to have. It's external tools. Yes. Like time blindness. I, I love using this one. So time blindness, for example, we don't have internal clocks that go linear like A, B, C, past, present, future. We have this wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, chaotic mess of things in here that does not recognize the existence of time. Yeah. And so for us to be trapped in a you know, 24-7, 365-day-a-year kind of mindset, we don't exist in that realm. Right. So we have to have external tools to be able to measure time. 
yeah. that we can see that can measure what we're supposed to do. Like I told you earlier, when when we were sitting here starting to talk, in order for me to recognize when I've been talking too long, I have to have a timer in front of me that goes off every uh, so often. Which is why y'all may have noticed that I switch subjects here and there, like yeah. like kind of drastically. It's because I see my timer go off and I have an idea of what we want to talk about. So I'm trying to shift into those realms. Yeah. And by doing that, though, it makes you being able to actually put in place the thing that you need. Being able to measure the amount of time that you're talking about a specific thing. Being able to make sure that you get to work on time. Making sure that you're able to meet certain deadlines. And so every aspect of my life... and I don't know if he's going to edit it out, but y'all, y'all, y'all may wind up hearing about like my Alexa thing going off about checking my tasks and calendar for the day. So the thing that it, uh, you know, the thing that I need that for is so that I have a verbal recognition of needing to make a decision whether or not to do the thing or not. Right. And that's what we have to put ourselves in because if we think about doing the thing, we see every aspect of every which way it's probably going to fail. Right. We see the, the the overall process, which is overwhelming. We see like our kids running up and down the thing being loud as shit. We see our wife running through and doing folder stuff. Everything is super out there and it's super, super stressful and it's overwhelming. And then we shut down and we procrastinate. Yes. But if I put in place a time thing that, hey, it's time to look at your tasks and calendar for the day. I then only have to do one of two things. Do it or don't do it. And I'm making a decision. I'm not forgetting about it. And yeah. that's a free that's a free tip for all of you out there. That's you a, have to That's a good tip because yeah, that leads to self the, mm-hmm. the self beratement that happens. Like, oh so stupid, I forgot that. All of those people who are telling us like why can't you do a basic ass thing, like do it on time. Mm. Like well, I you know, I'm just a shit human being who can't <laughs> do shit on time. Yeah. That's why. I suck. That, yeah. And we can't and we can't live with that kind of stuff because it takes away from our mental energy. Mm. And we already have a deficit of mental energy to start with because we have ADHD. Yeah. And if we're masking, that's taking up more mental energy. And if we're not being our authentic selves, that takes up more energy. If we're working a job that we can't stand, that takes up more energy. If we're in a relationship that's abusive, that's more energy. If, if we're not giving our kids the positive parenting that they need and they're being really you know obnoxious and rude and 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 not doing what we're asking to do that's more mental energy right and we have to simplify our lives completely out into a way where everything turns into a very simple do things or don't do things react or don't react communicate Uh, or don't communicate yeah yeah i i you know you you hit me there because that's a lot of how I move forward, I just decided I was going to make a decision about something, right? I wasn't going to think it to death. I, I mean, I also have terrible perfectionism, uh, and I had mm-hmm. to. There's, a, there's a lot of things I just had to come to grips with. You know that that therapy helped a lot, and and making the decision to come to grips with it. I mean, therapy alone isn't enough. You have to do the work. I, I know people who went to therapy for years, and I'm like, you didn't get anywhere. You're still blaming yeah. everybody else, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think decision-making is such a huge part of that. It's also a matter of learning to accept who you are. Mm-hmm. Right? Accepting who you are doesn't mean you just you're, you stay where you're at static. No, yeah. Accepting you, who you are is a matter of understanding that you struggle with some things and you're strong at other things. Yeah, exactly. But 
if you learn from your mistakes and failures, which is one of those things that we didn't learn as a kid because we were not developmentally uh, up to standards at that point and they didn't take the time to teach us. If you start to really take the, take into consideration that failure is how we learn. And if you're not taking the time to recognize what you, how you failed and learn from it, then you're wasting a lot of your mental energy mm-hmm. because instead you're sitting here spending time recriminating yourself and being a, an asshole to yourself and talking shit at yourself Yeah, because you're just regurgitating the exact same things that everybody in your past has said every time you failed. Right. Part of the mindset change that we have to have is shifting it from, all right, I failed and I'm a complete fuckbag to, all right, I failed. Where did I fail at? Mm-hmm. All right. I didn't wake up because my alarm clock was too easy to turn off. How can I make my alarm clock harder to turn off? Yeah. All right. I can put my alarm clock across the room. I can get a special type of alarm clock app on my phone that where I have to do a math equation. And of course, my issue, I have to actually pay attention to do the (laughs) math equation or I have to rewrite a sentence or I have to take 15 steps or I have to scan an RS code or a um, what I, whatever y'all know what the fuck I'm yeah. talking about. A barcode. Thank you. Um, I have to scan a barcode that's over my medication so that I take my medications. After I have an alarm on my journal that when it goes off, I can now find my journal because I don't know where my toddlers put it. <laughs> so we have to put in place all these different external tools. And that's kind of this mindset that you have is that these tools aren't weaknesses. Yes. This is me putting in place these systems that I need to be able to, to complete the routines that I want to do on a daily basis in my therapy and journaling and discussing things with my the people around me and that whatever you know system that I have to manage my emotional side of things, my ritual, right? Yeah. Christians have prayer where they give all their problems to God. You know, Muslims sit here and they do their daily prayers and everything. And a lot of that is self-reflection, gratitude for life. You know, gratitude to have the ability to do the things that they do, you know, like struggling through a problem and giving it over to Allah, you know, Buddhist meditation practices. We see a lot of these different systems that are put in place where it's mindset changing and it's mindfulness training and and things along those lines. And whenever I sit here and talk to people about ADHD, and that's what I mean by it, there has to be a complete system that involves psychiatry, that involves therapy. And that involves either coaching or working with support groups to really start to develop your personal system. There's no one size fits all pro- uh, process for people with ADHD. We're literally fucking chaos, y'all. And yeah. if you throw autism in the mix, it's even worse. Yeah. And so we have to find this entire system so that we go from self-recriminating, hating ourselves, fake masking, can't do anything, can't keep a job, can't keep a girlfriend, boyfriend them friend i can't do any of these different uh, situations right to i have adhd and i have autism and that's okay yeah i will put in place these kind of tools i will ask for these kind of boundaries i will respect my values i will respect my strengths i will work hard on my weaknesses i will eliminate those that i can't control and i will start to find the system that works for me to move forward and then I'm going to start living life and enjoying it. Yeah, I think I love that you said the to simplify um, mm-hmm. because the world is just noise at this point, at least to us, I guess. I, I think everybody's kind of going through it. I, I always wonder if 
we're teaching the world to be have ADHD at this point with our attention spans and the phones and all that kind of stuff. But what hurt us so bad was COVID because COVID caused a large number of people to have to be be less social. And yeah. by being less social, they found themselves not masking as much mm. and they found themselves being able to think more clearly. And as they sat here and they thought that more clearly, they started recognizing the problems that they had and they started getting into therapy and people started talking about their different issues online. Yeah. And there was a resurgence of understanding that ADHD and autism and mental health needed to be much uh, paid a lot more attention to. And then people started going to doctors and saying, I think I have ADHD. I had three years to look this stuff up. I hyper-focused. I'm fairly certain I have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder if, if I'm talking about even in somebody who's not neurodivergent, you know, the attention spans are just not the same as, as they would be. You just you uh, have so much in front of you at this point. There's just such an overload of information. There's just so much noise in the world to me. It is to you. Yeah. And and that's that's a legitimate thing. That is a thing. Here's the thing. And a lot of people with ADHD and autism actually think this way. They don't realize that a lot of people out there, neurotypical people especially, can just tune that shit the fuck out. That's an amazing skill. <laughs> it's just They're amazing. like, I cannot tell you. So I run a nonprofit called the Men's ADHD Support Group. And I and we have a Facebook group. And, well, we have all the different things. But our Facebook group is about 16,000 men. And we moderate it with an entire team of people because A, ADHD, impulsivity, emotional dysregulation, imposters, yeah. all that stuff is about to happen in there all the damn time. Um, but anyways, we run that and I cannot tell you how many people who come in there and they sit here and say, you mean to tell me that there's people out there who can ignore social justice? You mean to tell me that there's people out there who can just be comfortable not knowing politics or like the 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 dangers of different drugs or like you mean they're telling me there's people out there who don't have a running monologue through their head of all the shit they've done in their lives that was wrong Mm -hmm. like there's people who don't have deal with imposter syndrome or rsd like what the fuck do you mean that these people aren't don't have to deal with that stuff yeah like when i learned that you don't finish people's answers in your head (laughs) you know like to think of the next part that shocked me. I was like, what? Right. That's not normal. I thought you just do that. And the thing about us is we often draw like the like, yeah. right? We often draw a lot of different people with neurodivergent tendencies and things along those lines. Yeah. And we often grew up in environments where the people around us very likely dealt with it as well because ADHD and autism have a genetic component. There's right. hereditary components to it. And so like your average parent with a child uh, who has ADHD often likely has ADHD and one or both parents, one of them likely has some sort of ADHD or there's a grandparent that had ADHD. And so we grow up thinking that the way we are and the way our environment is, is the normal, right? That's the, that's the normal. But then when we get into the real world and we start really looking at neurotypical people and we're like, how the fuck do y'all do that? Yeah. We don't often realize that, that there is another side of the coin. There is there are people out there who do not struggle the way that we do. And oftentimes there's a lot of rage at that point. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. You mean that if I had been diagnosed when I was a kid and gotten the therapy I needed, I could have had a halfway normal life. 
Yeah. No, you wouldn't have had a normal life. You would have had a diagnosis at an early age ADHD life where you learn how to do all these yeah, different things and put in place the external tools yeah. and, and mindset change and didn't have to deal with all the trauma. But the thing is, is kids who are diagnosed earlier, and if you have a child and you feel like they may have ADHD, like, and or the teachers feel like that, you need to take it seriously. Because whenever you're, whatever you're doing with your kid, that's how they're forming who they are. And if you're doing a lot of negative stuff that you learned as a kid is supposed to be how you're supposed to parent, then you're causing a lot of harm. And so the best way to manage ADHD for people is to get early intervention therapy put in place for your kids. Yeah. Notice I didn't say psychiatry, by the way. Right. Early, early Every, intervention is incredible, by the way. Because it's early intervention, experience. yeah, early intervention for the kids isn't just for the kids. It's for the parents. Because yes. we're taught as parents how to help our kids. We learn about things like about positive parenting techniques, of, about using positive affirmations for kids with ADHD, which works significantly better than negative. We learn that encouragement needs to be the case, not negative criticism. We learn that what we say to our kids is literally what is forming the basis for who they are. Right. And then we also learn how to communicate these things to our, their teachers. And we learn how to defend our children from people who would essentially abuse them and traumatize them in a way that will cause them harm in the future. And that's the biggest aspect of managing ADHD is that early intervention and being there for your kids. So if yeah. you don't want your kids to grow up with the same struggles as you did, then you need to be talking to a psychiatrist and a therapist and getting an understanding of what your milestones are. And if your kids aren't meeting them, you need to be working with your doctors and therapists to say, okay, what's the next steps? What should I expect? How do we move forward here? Because my child isn't broken. There's nothing wrong with my child. They just need tools to put in place so that they can manage things more effectively, whether it's ADHD, autism, or any other kind of uh, childhood uh, disorder. Yeah, I, I like, think that helps. You're right. I think the family dynamic, not just the, just from experience with it, um, having I had a child who was in early intervention and it was terrific. But, you know, as far as my family, my mother was like, there's nothing wrong with my grandchild, you know, like. That generation's very different, but I was able to be like, well, do you think I'm hurting? I'm hurting your grandchild. Like, do you see anything happening that's hurting this person? <laughs> and when they see the changes, that's when they start to grasp that this isn't a problem. It's, yeah, you know what I mean? It's not like there's some, what you're saying, you're not defective. It's just, they're going to get some kind of, some ways to learn how to cope and, and move forward. And, it, and it, it was a great, great experience, at least for us. Yeah. One of the things that we have to understand about this is anything that you put in place that would work for a neurodivergent child will work for a neurotypical child as well. Yeah. Positive parenting, encouragement, love, respect, agency, giving them the option to make decisions, critical thinking skills, understanding how to observe the world, how to respond to certain social situations. All of these things are going to work for neurotypical children. Yeah. But what we have to understand is that for people with ADHD, that neurodevelopmental issue is that we learn at different rates, right? We learn cognitive things at different rates. We learn social things at different rates. We learn emotional uh, things at different rates. We learn how to do specific things at different rates. The problem is, is that we live in a neurotypical world, a neurotypical world designed for neurotypical people that are capable and able to meet the status quo of what the social expectations are. Yeah. 
And what we have to understand is we aren't trying to change our neurodivergent child to a neurotypical child. We're giving them the tools to be able to live within a world that is set up this way by the majority. Right. And by doing that, we are also wanting to start educating the world on that it's okay if the child needs to be taught certain things in order to function within the world that they're in, but that doesn't make them defective. They're just neurodivergent, and that's okay. Yeah. Well, I could talk about this forever, but I think... I think we're running on two hours, y'all. You you were getting close, so... (laughs) I'll have to figure there's, out what there's probably going to be a part one and part two. That's what I'm wondering, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that might be the way we go. So, uh, but yeah, I want to thank you. Uh, like I said, I, I think you should come back. There's, there's so many different things we could talk about. I'd love to talk about, you know, the neuroscience at some point behind all this stuff. Cause I think you have a good grasp on that too. And, uh, yep. just other things. So I, I do appreciate you coming on and, uh, yeah, thank you. So I'm going to let you plug yourself here. My name is Shane Threpp. I am the founder of uh, Creating Order from Chaos and ADHD uh, coaching and consulting company. I help people with ADHD really start to understand who they are and develop systems and processes to help them move forward with actually understanding how to adjust for their life and how to live within a neurotypical world while also being them, their authentic selves. Um, I also am the operations director for Men's ADHD Support Group, a nonprofit dedicated to providing information about ADHD and autism to men who are either, you know, late in life diagnosis and, you know, or early diagnosis, but lack of treatment or going through a lot of struggles with what their ADHD. Um, we help you with different programs such as, uh, we're working on, uh, addiction specialists. Uh, we're working on really developed programs for, learning how to deal with the different aspects of ADHD. We have weekly calls on Zoom where we go we go into deep dives into different aspects like RSD, imposter syndrome, um, how to manage time, how to manage your executive functions, all of those different things we do them on in, through our Facebook group. And so uh, if you feel like you have ADHD, first call me because I'm an amazing coach and you should definitely use me. Uh, second, if you're a man with ADHD, please check our website out, check our Facebook group out and really start to get an understanding of what you're going through and an understanding of that you're not broken well, thank you again and i'll leave all that in the show notes as well so but we'll talk to you soon all right all right man i'll talk, talk to you later i appreciate it thanks thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen the With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon. Stuck.